You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, thank you, everyone, and what a pleasure it is today. I have been so excited to see an old, old friend I interviewed for radio years ago when he came into downtown Cincinnati, and we had a wonderful time. Ladies and gentlemen, the pride of Twin Falls High School in Twin Falls, Idaho. Here he is, graduate Gary Puckett. Say hi, Gary. Hey, hello, everybody. And that's quite an intro, Rick. Thank you. Right. I've never been to the state of Idaho. Can you fill me in? Fill you in? Oh, my goodness. I hadn't thought about Idaho for a long time. I didn't really spend that much time there. I was there about a year and a half. And uh, it was uh, the closing of my high school years. Uh, It was a great place to live for a while. Twin Falls then was only about 20,000 people. Uh, we we lived near uh, Shoshone Falls, and um, I would, uh, you know, it was a desert, high desert out there. And so uh, I would go out, uh, for instance, a memory was that I would go out to the farmland and the uh, the farmers, uh, there are some people that are going to take exception to this, but the, the farmers would give me 22 shells, 22 caliber shells, and uh, we would go out and shoot rabbits for them because the rabbits were eating all their crops. So uh, we thought we were doing a good thing. I wouldn't do that anymore, of course. But, uh, you know, when you're young and kind of stupid, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Anything for a buck, is that it? Well, I guess so. Well, they didn't pay us. They just gave us the bullets. But uh, but I had a great hunting dog, and uh, I had my little 46 Plymouth, 1946 Plymouth Coupe that I drove around and uh, had turned it into sort of a little hot rod, not really a fast one. But um, I did things like... Uh, I, I kind of customized it and, and split the manifold and put on those lakes pipes, as they were called, the chrome ones that went underneath, you know, from behind the front wheels and uh, Oldsmobile flipper uh, hubcaps and uh, painted it a great, great color. And um, it was my uh, my ride. So I would take my hunting dog. Uh, that was a golden retriever, and we'd go out after school. I'd take my shotgun, and uh, we'd go out and hunt pheasant or uh, quail or dove, and I'd bring that that home and uh, clean it up, and Mom would put it on the dinner table that night. So uh, it was uh, it was a good place for, for living for a kid, uh, you know, 16 years old kind of thing. Now, I did not know this side of Gary Puckett, but <laughs> were you were you actually, were you on a farm at the time? Were you raised on a farm? No, no, not at all. My dad was a businessman, uh, worked for the Allied Corporation, not the movers, um, the department store people. And um, he was working his way up the corporate ladder. Uh, bon Marche, C.C. Anderson's... Um, Uh, I think there was another one that I don't recall right now, but they were transferring him around. And that's how we ended up in Twin Falls, Idaho. 
they had offered him a managerial position in Twin. So we moved there, and then he accepted another managerial position at a department store, an, an independent down in San Diego area in Pacific Beach called Mulings Department Store. So then we uh, moved to Southern California. But uh, Twin Falls has uh, some good memories for me, but it also has some some. I guess you could say difficult ones, you know, it's like when you move into, uh, when you're a teenager and you move into a new community, you know, and uh, there's a king of the hill and, you know, people eye you suspiciously and things like that. So I remember some altercations that went on and uh, me getting the the heck beat out of me by the big guys. Oh, I hope not. I hope not. Now, you mentioned a place called... T, what is it? TJ Muthings? Is that, was that a retail, like a department store? It was just called Muling's Department Store in Pacific Beach, California. Um, the one that he, let's see, I think it was a, it was a Bon Marche in Twin Falls in, uh, in Washington. He was at a Bon Marche and a C.C. Anderson's. So yeah, merchandising business is what it was. Now, did you have, now that was back in the days, of course, when record vinyl albums they used to have a record department in those type of department stores was your record all of your albums were they later carried and sold there by the time um i had the success and there were actual uh, 33 and a third rpms out there for gary puckett and the union gap my dad had moved on and had his own clothing store so no i was not in his store, nor was I in Muling's department store. I, I don't really recall records being in those department stores, but I guess that they were to some degree. But you had record stores mostly that were that were selling the records. Uh, you know, Tower Records in Los Angeles, for instance. You know, I remember going into that place and and being sort of overwhelmed by the amount of uh, records that you could buy. But um, yeah. That's that's something that we all loved, and uh, we all collected them and had a great time with them. And now it's all CDs. What can you say? You can't you can't really make a what is it? I want to say you can't make an insert in a CD that's really easy to do and easy to read. <laughs> no, I I how, miss how the I, album art. Yeah, yeah, me too. But a lot of groups, Gary, they're they're releasing their new albums on vinyl now. It's coming back, believe it or not. Yeah, it is. That's true. Um, and, you know, there's a warmth to that sound. So um, I suppose that it's possible that we might go back to recording on tape again, except tape was very, very difficult in relation to changes and things of that nature. So um, if they have a if they have a way of making it warmer, I'm sure they'll do it. But I've gotten used to the sound of CDs, so it doesn't bother me so much. I would like to see the recording process made warmer, but kept digital without the tape and mm-hmm. still still continue the vinyl records yeah i agree we uh, knew somebody in fact uh it was someone that helped our daughter get into medical school who was uh the dean of medicine at usf and um he was a an audiophile this guy was really into it and had been a dj in his younger years and things and his collection 
of 33 and a thirds, for instance, was just enormous. And he had he had a stereo that was phenomenal. I'm sure he spent thousands and thousands of dollars, not something that uh, most people can afford. But um, he sat me down in the driver's seat, I called it, because there was only one chair right in the center of those voice of the theater boxes, you know, that he was listening to. And the sound was truly amazing that he played for me, uh, you know, from Credence Clearwater and and other groups, the the warmth, the clarity, the it it was fantastic. So uh, and uh, and I would do that one day, except that uh, I I don't really collect stuff anymore. Right. Well, we all get older and we have to downsize. And part of my problem right now, Gary, I have over five thousand vinyl albums what am i gonna do with them well you can always start at the beginning and uh listen to one a day and (laughs) (laughs) right well you have you have a greater opinion of my longevity in life than i do thank you so very kindly but do you remember do you remember years ago when we were on radio you and i in cincinnati i brought with me and you were kind enough to autograph it where it later got custom framed under glass at the framing shop that did it for me but it was a a poster which depicted something that went down on wednesday night august 13th 1969 in a place up in michigan do you recall that you know uh there were so many concerts that we did in 1968 and 69 i have to be honest and say i don't really recall it but i did get the photos that you sent me of those posters and um i'll stare at them a bit and see if something doesn't come back to well i grew up and matured i was i was either 12 13 or 14 years of age i was in junior high school mom and dad packed up all three of the kids I was the oldest, and we took our family vacation, and we went to a place called Holland, Michigan. And Holland is the home of the annual Tulip Festival, and at that time, they were saying it is the largest concentration of Dutch people anywhere in the world with the exception of the real country of Holland. Other than that, Holland, Michigan is full of the Dutch. They make wooden shoes. They have windmills that turn the wind into flour. All of this. And we went there and in the hotel and all throughout the stores where we were looking at these booklets that say who's in town. Everybody was talking about what was going to go on at the Civic Center. And it was Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. And my dad in Holland, Michigan, left my mom, my brother and sister at the hotel. And he said, you can go to this concert, but don't be strolling around this strange town. I'll meet you out here in the lobby of the auditorium. And that was the very first concert I attended by myself with my parents' permission. And it was Gary Puckett. And now Gary Puckett hangs in my living room autographed. And Gary, you've been part of the family. What can I say? 
Well, that's fantastic. I'm really glad I could be there all these years with you. I'm I'm kind of surprised that your dad didn't have somebody go with you to the concert. And I'm sort of surprised that he didn't go to the concert himself. Well, yeah, he, <laughs> he had to investigate when we got home whether or not the Union Gap and Gary Puckett was morally correct for his son to go to. And when I told him about the concert and he looked uh, and, and read or did whatever he did, he said, boy, thou, this is a fine group. I'm glad I let you go to that. And it started a precedent in my life because that worked out so well. We had an amusement park in greater Cincinnati, a place called Lasordsville Lake. And they had one of those outdoor venues under roof, but no walls. And it was called Stardust Gardens. And he would drop me off there and we'd pay $3.50 or whatever it is, which is your admission into the park. And that included the dances. And I would see Tommy James and the Shondells. I would see uh, Keith singing Hey 98.6. I'd see Gene Hughes and the Casinos. Then you can tell me goodbye. I would see Syndicate of Sound that did Hey Little Girl, You Don't Have to Hide Nothing No More. You remember that. I did all of these acts, and the only one I missed, if you were there, was Gary Puckett, and I don't recall, but I had a the time of my life. That was the time when I got out of the normal local bands, and I started seeing the pros. What you did to me in Holland, Michigan, is you spoiled me, because every singer that I heard after your concert, I had to relate to you, and very few can uh, stand that test. <laughs> wow. I don't know. What can I say? But thank you. I, I don't know. You're, you're embarrassing me now. No, I don't want to embarrass you. But <laughs> but I had to talk with my opera singing friend that studied opera uh, with an Italian opera coach in New York City. And we put on just the other day, I played her a record and it was the last one that you did um, for Columbia, I believe, that I recall, and it was called This Girl is a Woman Now. Great song. Oh, I, I, I said, what it. is it about this song that that draws me in? What am I liking here? And she listened to it because she had heard all of your songs, but she says, what you are liking here on this song, Rick, is you are liking what is called the timbre, and that's spelled T-I-M-B-R-E. Now, how you get the pronunciation timbre out of that spelling, I don't know. But do I. <laughs> timbre is the quality of the tone, and right. that is what separates Gary Puckett from the masses. I don't know how somebody who is not an average, who is an average singer, or I don't know how any average singer can sing your material. And a good singer, I don't know how they can do it. You have to be a great singer to sing a song like that and do it well, which I don't think anybody else has even recorded that song, but you have they, um, this girl is woman. Now I don't think so. I know that Jerry Vale recorded uh, young girl, 
Um, and I thought that he did a pretty good job of it. Uh, he's a good singer. Um, you know, I, all I can say is thank you for your, your kind words. I, I'm, uh, you know, God is good. He gave me this gift. And particularly at this age and this point in life, I have to, uh, to keep it healthy in order to continue going. And, and uh, I hope I've got a lot of years left to get out there and sing with the fans because it's so much fun to be out there with all of them. I love to have them sing along because it just shows me that uh, the music really does mean something to everybody. It's universal, as we know. I've you know worked around the world in different places, and and to just watch a German audience, for instance, uh, you know, singing the words and enjoying what they're singing and knowing what they're singing and how it uh, how it creates the warm and fuzzy if you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean yeah so well thank you very much for your very 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 kind words i'm a lucky guy that uh, i was given this particular quality my mom and dad were both great singers both were musicians that's how they met in fact um he uh was a sax player she was a piano player they were in a a big band right out of high school uh, you know when i was born i was lucky to inherit the qualities of their voices and as life went on uh, my dad uh later I, when i was just i mean before i reached my teen years he was in barbershop quartets and things which gave me an appreciation of harmonies and of course when people like the everly brothers came along i just went wow that's that's that sibling sound that's that thing that uh, that rings the beatles had that you know um and my mom was in the uh she was in the sweet adelines which was uh basically uh the counterpart you know to the barbershop quartets and music was there she was always playing the piano we were always singing always carrying on having a good time so like i said god is good he he blessed me with this and i'm going to do my best to keep it going I want to know when the first time in your life, Gary, was that you knew in your heart, you knew that you had something special here that was far up above what the normal person who sang in the choir at church or wherever had. Was it your mom and dad who told you, son, you've got something here. You're you're different than the rest. Or did you learn that when you left home and you were living out on your own, playing in these rock and roll bands? Well, I think I kind of learned it on my own. My parents were always supportive um, of me as a musician. Um, they actually wanted me to go into higher education and become a doctor or something, you know, a scientist, whatever might um, might be of interest to me. But and I tried. I uh, actually tried to. I I did two years at San Diego City College because we were not a wealthy family and we couldn't afford state college. Um, so I tried, uh, but I was more and more involved all the time with the local bands, and, and it just seemed more fun. More, it, it just was something that I wanted to do more than anything was to play and sing, and um, they would always say, well, you know, you, you probably should get that higher education because you don't know where it's going to go. Uh, that's what we did with our daughter. You know, she wanted to follow in my footsteps, and we said, okay. That's fine, but you have to get the education first and have that degree to have something to fall back on. Fortunately, I was able to make it work, but I don't honestly know how to answer the question that you asked. Uh, 
I, I knew that I had something. I knew that I could sing. I mean, I was in bands and I was the singer and that kind of stuff. But I, I also knew that I wanted to make records. I wanted to get out in the world and travel and possibly work with the popular groups of the day and all that. So I treated it like a business and, and uh, created a portfolio uh, after I had put a band together that I thought would follow me um, and uh, took it around to all the places in Los Angeles. Maybe it was after I, after I finally recorded Woman Woman, which was our first record. I was listening because this is what we were doing. So after making that entire album, which featured Woman Woman, I think maybe I've started to think, well, maybe you really can sing, you know, because um, it wasn't something that, that I it was something that I took for granted for a long time, to be honest with you. In fact, my mother told me uh, one time years, uh, well, I was pro probably after the success that we had with the Union Gap. Um, when I was just a child, my folks would get a tape recorder and we would we would do messages to my grandparents who lived in Minnesota. We were living in Washington and we would sing songs to them and all that kind of stuff. And then my dad would take the tape recorder back and they would transfer the tapes over to these little yellow records. And we would send the records to my grandparents. And I was singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on one of those at age six or seven or something like that. And my mother told me years and years later, she said, I just thought all little boys, six or seven years old, could sing like you did. I had no idea that you had a special voice or whatever. I had no idea that you could sing well. And um, so I, I think maybe I too just sort of took it for granted. But uh, one day I realized, particularly when I started to get feedback from all the fans who have loved the records and who come to the concerts, you know, I, I realized that God has given me a, a gift. And so, uh, so I'm just greatly appreciative and, um, and thank him every day for the blessings that I have. Boy, indeed, that is true, because I have seen careers take off and, and last a lifetime on one, only one, O-N-E, hit record somewhere that a person has had. And you, last I checked, had six of them that all charted here in the United States, and I'm not even going to count the ones that charted uh, in Europe, because in Europe, uh, I think in England, you were number one with Young Girl, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, twice, actually. Uh, they had something called the Revive 45s on the BBC, and uh, uh, Young Girl turned up in 1974, um, five years later, six years later, I guess it would have been, um, at the top of those charts. So uh, I have lots of fans over in England, and uh, and it's uh, fantastic. In fact, there's a group over there that calls themselves the Union Gap UK, and they center their show around much of Union Gap's recordings. And uh, I, um, at one point, started to become friendly with them, and um, I applaud them for keeping the music alive over there. And I do have lots of fans over there that are that are in touch, you know, they send me emails and say, come back, come back. We had a whole tour set up for Australia where we did very well for this, this coming February, but they moved it into 22. But anyway, what can I say? I'm a lucky guy to uh, have made some great recordings and have those recordings last through the years. Uh, fortunately, my producer then, Jerry Fuller, 
uh, who's still living and we're in touch from time to time, uh, worked out our differences and uh, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm just fortunate to have been able to put together something that he saw as having potential success came to see us where we worked at a club in San Diego called the quad room. And, and from there, he, you know, wrote some songs that became humongous hits for me. And uh, all these years later, here we are. We're still doing it. I've got a great band. And hopefully we'll get back out there again because it's been uh, eight months now, going on eight months, that uh, that we have not been able to be with the fans and the friends out there on the road. Well, sure. But uh, Jerry Fuller, your producer, didn't he write Traveling Man that Ricky Nelson sang? Yes, he did write that. As a matter of fact, when I knocked on his door, actually his door was open. I looked inside. I said, excuse me. And he turned around and looked at me and said, hey, come on in. You know, so he was hanging that gold record up on his wall. And um, I said, what are you doing? He says, it's just a gold record award that I got for a song. And I said, uh, who, what? And I looked at it and I saw Ricky Nelson, Traveling Man. I said, man, that's fantastic. I love that song. And he said, I actually wrote it for... Uh, Sam Cook, but um, Sam didn't want it, and Ricky's people heard it, and they thought it was really good for him, and apparently it sold four million copies. And of course, you know, we watched the Nelsons on TV, so that probably helped. Right, Ozzy and Harriet. <clears throat> Correct. Exactly. Now, didn't you say that if you had one thing in your life that you could possibly change. And when you're a Monday morning quarterback, you're always going to win the game. But didn't you say that when you look back upon your career, that if you had one thing to do over again, per se, you would not have thought when you were having this success as a young man in your early to mid-20s, you were 25, I think, when some of these records were, were hits, if not even younger than that. You said you wish you hadn't thought you knew it all. <laughs> or words yeah. to that effect. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said you regret having thought that because it, it's no secret that you kind of resented being known as what they called a power ballad singer. And if you ask me, that to me is one of the best compliments that you could ever be paid because you are a definite power ballad singer. Not that you can't sing up tempo, but your ballads are almost magical. Well, thank you for that. Um, power ballad, uh, term i don't think came along until much the, the term power pop or power ballad didn't come into existence really until about the 80s i think but what what i took exception to back then was that i wanted to write more i wanted to produce i wanted to be more involved in all that and what i said i think was i regret not having gone along with the program and just continued on with jerry fuller i thought i would take a year off I thought I would write songs, which I did from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. I uh, just wrote daily. In fact, I just found 11 songs that I recorded in my computer that are all about faith. They're all about my brother and I are both born again. Um, not preaching to anybody, just saying how it is. And he and I wrote a ton of songs 
that um, I simply played and sang. And I just found them on my computer. And I'm going to put this album out as me on the piano, kind of like Elton has done. And um, just my songs of faith. At any rate, um, I'm getting off the track here and I apologize. But that's that's kind of where it was for me. Um, I wish that I had not. Um, I wish that I had not been blind to the fact that we had a great machine going and I should have just stayed within the machine instead of trying to recreate that. And um, who knows what would have happened, but uh, here I am today. I have a beautiful family. I've got a wonderful life. I've got millions of fans out there and uh, I really have nothing to complain about except for the fact that we have a COVID out there that doesn't allow me to go and play the music right now. So uh, life is good. I'm, I'm happy where I am. Do you find that your ballads, such as, well, all of your records are still loved by millions of your fans from those years ago? They are, and I'm so pleased for that. And, and you know, um, I, I grew up with rock and roll, and that was in my heart and soul. I mean, Elvis Presley turned my world upside down along with people like uh, Gene Vincent, um, Little Richard, uh, Eddie Cochran, um, Everly Brothers. That wasn't really rock and roll, but it was rock and music sometimes, you know. And uh, of course, I love people, people like the Coasters and the Platters and, uh, you know, the rock and roll of our era. And that was always there in my heart and soul. And later on, I learned that really, truly, ballads are my forte, you know. And, and so my show is based around the ballads that we did. And some of them were very up-tempo, you know, like Young Girl, Lady Willpower, um, and other songs that we recorded in the beginning uh, from Petula Clark, for instance, Kiss Me Goodbye. And I love doing those songs now because uh, it is my forte and, and uh, I love doing what I do best. So anyway, I'm off track again. No, you're not. You speak <laughs> however you wish to speak. Your vocal range, how many octaves there? You're a tenor. Are you doing like two or three or... Uh, it well, seems you know, as though I, you, you can actually, switch octaves. Well, actually, um, uh, or am I, I wrong? School, I'm not a no, vocal coach, Gary. Well, you're not really wrong. Um, uh, I was really a baritone voice, but had a range of about three octaves, which is wow. a really, really big range. The Lord almighty. And the range has changed. I don't sing as high as I did when I was 25 years old. Um, and my voice has grown, in my opinion. Um, it's broadened. It's matured. Um, you know, it just is what it is. So uh, I don't even like singing that high <laughs> anymore. But I don't know what to say beyond that. Uh, I had three octaves. Uh, it's probably more like two now just because of my age. I just turned 78 and, um, you know, things, uh, things change in relation to muscles when you get older. So, uh, I'm working it every day and, uh, trying to, uh, keep it, uh, in as good a shape as it can be in. And another thing that I'm extremely jealous of Gary Puckett, you have the identical waistline today that you had when you were a senior in high school. And I'm a little upset about it. <laughs> How did, how in God's name did that happen? Well, I got to tell you the truth here. I don't have the identical waistline. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's close, but really 
Um, in fact, this is a funny thing for me because just the other day, my wife said to me, I'm going to measure your waist. I want to see what your waist is. And I said, well, okay. And I'm thinking she's going to find 33. Well, it was 35. And I went, uh-oh, uh, I got on the scale. You see, when I was uh, 29 years old, 19, 29, up to about 38 years old, I never weighed more than 138 pounds. And my waist was 29 or 30. <laughs> oh, my. I was, I was a skinny kid, you know. And uh, all these years later, now I weigh about 175, and my waist is 35. So uh, uh, she said, I'm putting you on a diet. You're, you're going to lose 5 or 10 pounds, and you're going to get back to fighting weight. So I said, okay, honey, let's go. So uh, we try to get our exercise daily and, and do the right thing nutritionally and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I intend to be around for a long time. That's all I need to say. Boy, if I have anything to say about it, which I don't, you certainly will be. But you know what? You have left a legacy, Gary. You have left... And Columbia Records, one of the top labels in the world. Yeah, that's the truth. I'm fortunate that uh, we signed with Columbia um, because there was one other record company that truly had interest. And they were called Coal Gems, and they had a group called the Monkees. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so... Um, you know, but then they, they, they showed interest at the same time that Columbia showed interest. And um, uh, fortunately for us they closed their doors because that forced me kind of to sign with Columbia. But Jerry Fuller uh, was a new uh, employee of a new producer for Columbia Records. And I discovered him at his office and he's given credit for discovering me as a talent, which is fine. Um, but Columbia uh, is a fair company at least. Uh, and um, there's been a couple of things over the years, but still I'm happy to have been with Columbia Records. Oh, indeed. Now, young girl charted in the in the United States at number two. And didn't you say that the only reason that didn't get to number one, which, by the way, it did in Europe, but in the United States, you said you had a hard time bumping off sitting on the dock of the bay by Otis Redding. Am I right? Or was it another song that held you up? Actually, I'm thinking it was Honey by Bobby Goldsboro. Dock of the Bay, I think, was up there as well. But I believe that uh, Honey by Bobby Goldsboro was the record that kept us out of the number one spot. Cashbox gave us number one, but uh, the Billboard said we were number two. So whatever that means, I don't know. Right. Well, six hit records in America, excluding what you did uh, overseas. And now I understand that these oldies circuits and oldies cruises, where they have multiple acts, each act having their own part of rock and roll history, that's what's attracted the Gary Puckett fans now, because they can come and hear you, and then they can hear other acts as well. Is that what you're doing, or are you doing primarily your own uh, concerts? Well, primarily we're out there doing our own concerts, but there are those cruises out there, the Flower Power Cruise, for one. Uh, the Rock and the Caribbean cruises are good. Uh, there's also Concerts at Sea, which was Paul Revere and the Raiders thing. Um, and we do the cruises from time to time because they're a lot of fun, particularly the uh, 
Well, Rocky's cruises are just great because he's got music from from morning to night, and and it's just it's fun. They 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 dance, they play, they you know all that. The Flower Power Cruise has great entertainment morning to night, and they rent the entire ship. So there's not a cruiser on that ship that isn't a part of the Flower Power Cruise. So you see at in, in the evening, the afternoon, the morning. It's it's nothing but music, and it's fabulous time but mostly we do our own thing because that's what we do you know there's lots of theaters out there and we get invited to lots of them around the country and we continue to uh to travel now when the union gap got signed what's this about you sign your contract papers in a bowling alley yeah the club was in a bowling alley that we uh were working it was called the quad room and you had to walk into the bowling alley to go in the front door of the club so that's where we were working and that's where jerry fuller came to see us and he and i sat in a booth outside the club in the bowling alley uh just uh, discussing the possibilities and he said well i want to go make a record with you i've got the song let's do it so he came back about uh, a month later with recording and publishing contracts and we sat once again in the same booth and signed all the contracts right there so and the first yeah. record was that uh, young girl first record was woman woman have you got cheating on your mind oh yes yes a uh, woman woman yeah uh, number, number four on the billboard chart. Um, yes. Number, number three, number cash three, box. It was in the top, it was in the top five for six weeks. Boy, that's your, and that was your first record. Yes. And then came young girl right after that. Yes, correct. Oh my, oh my. And signed the contract in the bowling alley. Did the people, did the, were the people responsive to the band in the bowling alley or were they just there in between games and they didn't really pay much attention? Because boy, did they ever have a gold mine in that lounge that night? Well, the bowlers were the bowlers and they were there just to bowl. The people that came to the club, they were club goers. We had the most popular club in town. We had a, a great band and there was a waiting line from 930 at night until, uh, probably midnight 12:30 to get into the club. So we did well there and it was a lot of fun. Um but like I say the bowlers were just the bowlers and the club goers were the the club goers. And and we we just had a great time. It was a you know when you're young and bullet bulletproof like that. You know you you're just having a good time and uh we we just rock and rolled and uh what more can I say? What city was that bowling alley in? Well, it was in San Diego, California, but it was in a suburb called Claremont. I'll be darned. True or false? Because I don't believe everything I read. <laughs> I've read plenty that has not been true. But I want to know, in 1968, is it true? Gary Puckett and the Union Gap outsold, outsold the every <laughs> band, including the Beatles. That's what the history books say. Um, I don't know really where the proof of that lies. I do know that we sold in 1968. The Beatles were kind of having a tough year because of the breakup and all that kind of stuff. I know that we sold, without counting the albums, I know that we sold 16 million single records. So I don't know who it was that said that, but it 
it, it seems to be true, and I'm just going to wear the little badge of honor. Um, I heard uh, John Lennon sing Young Girl one time, and that cracked me up. Oh, really? So, yeah. So uh, on, yeah, on a recording know. or live, or what did he, when and where? He, he and uh, Paul were doing an interview with one of the old CBS or ABC or somebody, news guys, and a friend of mine sent a link to that interview and i'm watching it and it was like three minutes and three three minutes and 50 seconds into this interview which i was enjoying because it was paul and john being paul and john you know and and uh then i thought to myself why am i watching this i mean i'm enjoying it but why did he send it to me and then suddenly john breaks into young girl young gill get out of my mind Oh, you mentioned the Everly Brothers. The Beatles, before they made it, they used to warm up the uh, Everly Brothers in England back oh, yeah. when Brian Epstein was their manager. Mm-hmm, that's true. Did you ever meet Phil and Don? Yeah, I used to hang out with Phil when, when we were both working the lounges in uh, in Las Vegas. Um we would, uh, you know, they were doing their shows, we would do our shows, and then we would meet up at one of the lounges uh, and and hang, you know. And so it was it was fun. I enjoyed their company, um, loved their music, and uh, um, not not too much to report on that on that end. But uh, thought he was a nice guy and and uh, enjoyed being with him. Tell me about playing in the White House, please. We were invited to do a command performance. Uh, the Nixon administration was going to host. Prince Charles and Princess Anne. And so they wanted to have a big party out on the South Portico. And they asked Prince Charles who he would like to hear as music uh, in the evening. And he said, I'd like to hear Burton Cummings and the Guess Who. And Princess Anne said, I'd like to hear Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. So they built a great big stage out on the South Portico, the South Lawn there. And um, the Guess Who were on one side of the stage and we were on the other side of the stage in fact i was allowed to use the marine band horns which were world class and uh, since we were a horn band and um, it was fantastic they allowed me to walk around the white house browns by myself with my camera uh walk through the white house by myself with my camera if i got off the beaten path somebody would come out of the bushes and (laughs) excuse excuse me you need to walk back this direction (laughs) i have no doubt yeah yeah that was fantastic i got to meet all the political figures i mean they had a big line you know where everybody walked through and met prince charles and princess anne and there were hollywood people and political people and um it was star-studded and lots of fun well i'm going to tell you what uh, Gary Puckett, you have just made a difference in my life. I compare every singer that I hear to you, and it's not worked out well for me at all. It's been a disaster in many cases. In fact, the opera singer and I, we tried to come up with somebody who we could relate that could even perform your material, and the closest I got was a fellow Columbia Records artist that was on your label, who was a household name. Everybody knew it. Do you know who that could be? A big name. Uh, uh, I believe he was a tenor just like you. 
and Johnny Mathis. Oh, there he is. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I said Johnny Mathis can take this material like young girl. He could sing it. He could hit the ranges and he could do it with power. Johnny Mathis could handle your material. But other than that, the only other name that came up, I think Tony Bennett might have been able to do it, but he was stuck in the old school. I, I don't. I think he he didn't want to deviate from the big band era. And then yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Tony's but Tony's a great voice, and um, you know, look at him in his nineties. He's still touring the world and that kind of stuff. I think Tom Jones could have handled those songs. Um, I mean, he was sort of a a different kind of singer in a way. Uh, we have a, a a different sort of sound. But I used to get those comparisons all those years ago to Tom to uh, uh, to Johnny. Uh, also to uh, David Clayton Thomas. Blood, sweat, um, and tears. Yeah, and uh, maybe even B.J. Thomas, who has right. been a friend for many Raindrops years, so. keep falling on my head. Yeah. Yeah, B.J. Thomas. Great record. And another name came up. I just want to get your opinion. Uh, I think, even though he's uh, not from your era, I think perhaps Josh Groban might have been able to handle it. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I'm sure of that. There's many, many good singers out there. Johnny Maestro, he was a friend of mine for the last couple of years of his life, and he and I got to sing together and do, you know, like love and feeling, that kind of thing. And uh, he, to me, was one of the great voices, kind of undersung, if that's a good word for it. You know, he was he was a great singer, a great, great singer, and... I think he might have been able to handle handle them well. Now, the strings that are on your records, including uh, this girl's woman now, there are some clear, uh, the presence of strings. They're live right there with you at the time, or did they put those in later? Uh, woman, woman, they were there live. I was supposed to sing live, but I was so taken by the music and how it sounded beautiful in the earphones that I said, you guys are just going to have to uh, do this without me and I'll put my voice on later. When it got to This Girl is a Woman Now, we did those, in fact, later tracks, uh, um, Lady Willpower, Over You, um, we tracked the rhythm sections first and then added the horns and the strings and things. Same with this girl is a woman now. I don't believe everything I read. I'm going to say it again one more time. This will be the last time I'm going to say it. Is it true that your producer, Jerry Fuller, wanted to hire that 40-piece band and to record a big, grandiose song with Gary Puckett and you did not wish to do it? Well, there's truth to that. Yes, he. it was supposed to be our next recording session, and he had. Uh, he said he looked through 2,000 songs and couldn't find a song that he felt was good enough, and he wrote a song um, that was titled Heaven Down Below, and for whatever reason, doesn't really matter anymore because, you know, hindsight is 2020 kind of thing, but I didn't care for the song and felt that we that that we should be moving on somehow you know and uh, so we showed up at the recording session just to just to honor the contract so to speak and then um we left we were there with our manager and then we left and he recorded that song um and it showed up, I think, John John Wesley Riles. Do you remember that name? I no, I don't remember that. John John Davidson uh, did it, and 
whatever else. So the track wasn't wasted. It was just not a song that I wanted to do. And that caused the breakup of Jerry and I. And in retrospect, once again, you know, I, I think maybe I should have just stayed on. And as Columbia Records would say, shut up and sing. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me get back one more last final time to this girl is a woman now. Now, that's not Jerry Fuller. That was a new producer after you left Jerry Fuller, right? Yes. Now, with that song, This Girl is a Woman Now, that was uh, number nine U.S. That was number 16 in Australia. But if you listen to the, the, the piece, there is a very basic piano part that begins it. Nothing fancy. The old less is more. That's for sure. And then the strings kind of come in there and surround the material. But the entire song seems to be like a tailor-made suit around your voice to do nothing but promote the, the, the timbre, if you will, of the voice. It, it, to me, that is a custom-made song for you and for you alone. Well, uh, the guy that brought me the song uh, would agree with you 110%. Uh, his name is Joel Diamond. He had a publishing company. In fact, we were in touch recently, and he sent me a couple songs that I had written with Barry Mason, who had written some of the Tom Jones, uh, Tom Jones hits and things. And Joel would agree with you. He uh, brought that song. He said, this song is only for Gary Puckett. I know this is a humongous hit for him. You've got to record this. And he, 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 uh, but as I want to say here, he kept after us to record that song. Eventually we did. And it was a huge hit. In fact, I never did get the gold record for that song. He did. And I was with him recently with his wife, Rebecca Holden, as they were doing a recording project. And, um, he wanted me to sing a song called Love is the Reason with Rebecca for her project. And he sent me a demo that I listened to. And I called him up and I said, Joel, uh, this is Engelbert singing this song. Why don't you want him to record this song? And he said, because I want you to record this song. <laughs> so thank you for what you said. You know, the song was meant for me. Uh, we did it. I don't think anybody else has ever recorded it. I think that they should. It doesn't, you know, they don't have to try to be me or anything. Um, covers are done all the time, but thank you for your kind words, sir. I have the perfect way for a regular person to become a comedian. Here's, here's, here's the way it works. In order to become a professional comedian, make people laugh, just go to a karaoke bar, select a Gary Puckett song, and get up the on the stage, hold a mic, and attempt to sing it. That'll do it right there. I don't think <laughs> that can be done. That would be laughable. <laughs> well, here's a little bit of a laugh in relation to that. Uh, some, some years back, uh, we went to a, a party with a friend and his wife. Uh, she was celebrating her birthday, and it was a big-time birthday for her. So he um, invited lots of people. They had a a DJ there and there was karaoke because his wife likes to do karaoke. And at some point he said to me, come on, let's you and me go sing a song. And I just kind of went, well, um, I, I don't, he says, come on. He grabbed me, pulled me up there. So we sing this song together. Don't even remember what, what it was at this point. We got through and the DJ comes over to me and he goes, 
You know what? You sound just like Gary Puckett. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You, you, oh my. But it, he was clueless. He had not a clue. No. No. Did you, did you end up telling him or did you just walk away? No, 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 no. I told him. I said, yeah, well, that is, that is me. So I'm oh, glad I still sound like me. <laughs> that is absolutely phenomenal. Gary Puckett, I don't know where the time has gone other than that you are a part of my life. You helped me progress from being a young boy into a man. <laughs> it was the first concert I ever went. I was allowed to go to Lasordsville Lake Amusement Park unattended to attend these acts with like Tommy James and the Shondells singing My Baby Does the Hanky Panky and all of these records. I would see the group live because my dad trusted me to be in that amusement park and be there waiting when he got there. And he learned that in Holland, Michigan from Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. How can I not thank you enough? Well, thank you for thanks. I appreciate that. And I'm happy, like I said, that I could have been there in your uh, earlier life with the music and uh, it helped uh, guide you along a pathway that made your dad proud. Anything else you want to add, Gary, before we say adios? Well, I would like the, the, the fans out there all to go to my uh, website, GaryPucketMusic.com, and pick up a new copy of my, um, my little album I call Love Songs. They're all songs from the 80s, from the rock groups, because I was a rock and roller, and uh, it's got some of that power ballad thing going on in it. So it's called Love Songs, GaryPucketMusic.com. You all take care of yourselves. I love you all. I hope to see you soon. Gary Puckett, the time has really come to where as much as I don't want to we're going to have to say goodbye to everybody we have a worldwide audience here i do hope that everybody has enjoyed it this is my second time in the studio with you and i've loved every second of it at this time gary can i just get you to say to the audience goodbye gary goodbye gary oh there oh the audience is happy gary Wait, it's 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 a standing ovation, Gary. I don't know what to do. Oh my, oh my. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, not one, not two, not three, but six massive hits on the charts for Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. What a pleasure it is. Thank you again, Gary. And for everybody out there listening, thank you. We've had a great time today. Everybody, this is Rick Flynn. It's been fun, but I've got to run. Our special guest today, one of my heroes, Gary Puckett from Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Thank you all so very much. We'll see you on the next one. Proceeding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.